Did you know that Radical Reels is touring Australia from October 2023? It's a collection of short, action-packed, wild and crazy films from the well-known Banff Film Festival. Three out of eight short films are snow films. Tour dates and locations are found easily on the website radicalreels.com.au. Check it out. You're listening to Loving the Snow Life with Emma and Tennille. Tennille, our mum, and Emma, her awesome friend, share deep passion for the snow. They started the podcast together to share all their experiences with you. Between them, they have skied over 95 resorts, both held ski instructor qualifications, lived and worked in resorts, and still spent every hard-earned dollar skiing. They set their lives up around snow travel, and our ski bags are always packed, ready to go. We're certainly not complaining about this, are we? No way. And even better, we get to share all the experiences. Hi, Karen. How are you going? I'm well. Thanks, girls, for having me on. Very excited to speak with you, Karen. (laughs) So we have Karen with us today, and we are going to an area we haven't yet been in our Loving the Snow life. We are going to be talking to Karen about her trip to Mongolia, which is absolutely fascinating and we can't wait to hear all about it. Yeah. Well, Mongolia was fascinating. Where do you want me to start um, as to where I went? Why you went to Mongolia. It's a very important reason, I think. (laughs) Okay. So in 2017 or 19, I did a trek with Cantu to Peru and at the end of it we all made a, a con, you know a joint decision that one day we would do the same thing or similar thing in Mongolia. And we organised it for 2021, but everyone knows what happened in those years. So finally it came around this year and 13 of us decided, yep, we're going, and it was a cancer research fundraiser. Uh, so it wasn't a holiday, it was a challenge. And that's the way we have to look at it because it wasn't a holiday. <laughs> a challenge because of the actual country itself or what you did within the country? <laughs> well, it's a challenge because of what we did within the country. Uh, yeah. And um, Annie uh, Crawford, who the, is the founder of Cantu, always likes to make a challenge difficult because people going through cancer are struggling and having a very difficult time. So if we're fundraising for cancer researchers, we have to struggle. Mm. I actually yeah. love that, even though it's hard, but I actually love that because it's really relevant. <laughs> yeah, it, it, sounds, it sounds fascinating. So so in a nutshell, correct us if we're wrong, but 12 kilometres, 10 days uh, no. up near the Russian border. So, oh, so for 10 yeah. days we... We were on we were on the trek, which com- was three elements in the trek mm-hmm. for ten days. We had an, a day either side um, for welcome and and go in goodbyes. Uh, we made it as as close as ten kilometers to the Russian border and the mm-hmm. Chinese border and the Kazakh border. So we're all you know up in that sort of western area of Mongolia, and during that time we spent four days on mountain bikes, not electric, mountain bikes, on corrugated dirt roads with rocks, mountains, and a 25-knot headwind. Oh, wow. What kind of gear did you have on at that stage? 
Well, we all had cycle gear on and then at times wing jackets, um, not, you know, mainly wing jackets um, because, like, the wind just made it so cold. Uh, and it wasn't that the temperature was super low all the time. It was at night. It was zero-ish. But during the day, the sun was out a lot of the days, but it was just the wind factor. Yeah. So being June, you wouldn't imagine there was snow there, but you came across some snow high in the Alps or tell us about yeah. the snow adventures that you weren't expecting. <laughs> well, after the four days of cycling, which, by the way, I've never had such a sore backside in all my life, and I cried while looking for poor, poor ointment. Um, (laughs) It tests your mind to the limit. And then um, so we started trekking, which was three days of trekking, and that was in the Altai Mountains, which is a beautiful, it's the highest range in um, Mongolia. Um, on the western side. So we're in a province where the capital city is Ogilvy and it's, you know, it's just a small province and there's only dirt roads around there. There's no bitumen roads. So when we were trekking, we actually had a camel train that took us, you know, took our gear to the base camp where we were meant to summit. So the first day of trekking was absolutely glorious. It was nice temperature. We were down to sort of you know, lightweight tops and and our trekking pants and shoes and sitting in the sun having morning tea and lunch that we carried with us and we got to the top and the clouds came in and it started to snow and that was about one in the afternoon and it snowed for like over 12 hours, 10 centimetres of snow. (laughs) Uh, We were next to a glacier so we had to walk into the base camp in the snow so we hadn't had, had lunch at this point. We just had to keep going. Oh, my God. They pitched tents. We all had two-man tents and we had a, a big tent for our, our meals and that's what we did. We were there and overnight 10 centimetres of snow. That is so, that's a lot of snow when you're trekking and unprepared. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we didn't, we were we were prepared but not not thinking that we'd actually get snow. Um, and we were meant to summit the, the second or the third tallest mountain that day, which was, I think we were supposed to get to 4,050 metres, uh, oh but gosh. we didn't make it to the summit. We started out and uh, some of the, 11 of it made it about a kilometre and a half, two kilometres further than us, but it was, it's, it was, you know, going up quite steep and my partner was really struggling by then. Um, we were over 3,000 metres and he was starting to really feel the altitude effects and things like nosebleeds and, you know, all those little things. Headaches. Did you you get warned that you would have altitude issues? Did you do some training? Um, Yeah, yeah, but Diamox usually helps. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, yeah, we. I don't, like when we did Peru, we went to 4,900. So this wasn't, you know, this was quite a bit less mm-hmm. um yeah we didn't I didn't really think about it as much and we weren't really struggling with altitude when we were riding on the bikes because we were we were you know lower down not much lower we were at two and a half thousand meters mm. yeah. and so um how did you cope with the did you did you take some thermal pants and did you take ski gear to cope with the snow or did you what were you wearing at that stage when you had the 10 um, centimeters coming in 
I well, I had a you know, I think we all had a lot of merino um, thermals. Um, I guess the least prepared we were was for gloves and and shoe-wise. Um, I just had a Gore-Tex, you know, running shoe or trekking shoe, but not a really heavy duty because I don't like heavy boots for trekking. Mm-hmm. And because there was three elements of the trip, which was cycling, um, walking and horse riding, we mostly only took one pair of shoes that was going to do for all. So are you a are you a lover of the snow? <laughs> I mean, did you think it was beautiful or did you Oh go, yeah, I <laughs> I did. Look, I I skied until 10 years ago when I um really ruined a knee and I thought oh look, you know, at my age I was in my late 50s then and I thought oh, bugger it, I'll just give it up. There's so many other things to do. So I did stop and uh yeah, but I love being in the snow and I, I have to tell you this, the best view we had was from our toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so because we were really camping rough, like, well, we had a tent, but every night the team looking after us, or three or four of them would dig a big hole and put like a toilet over it and a green canopy. Mm. And that was the toilet. And I remember sitting on the, the toilet the morning of the 10 minutes, I got up 10 centimetres of snow and we never used to zip the door up and it was facing the, um, it was facing the glacier <laughs> and there was snow all around and I just had my camera <laughs> the toilet, yeah. taking photos of the you know five star <laughs> view from the toilet which really no selfies the view was amazing the toilet for the whole 10 days always had an amazing view of something <laughs> oh I love oh, that yeah, a good strategy for them as well as like where can we point at this time um, well, the rest, the rest of the Oh, sorry. The rest of the time during the day, it was always bushways, which there wasn't any bush, so it was rockways. Oh, <laughs> wow. Really, really yeah. exposed to the elements on this trek. Yeah, <laughs> there's no trees up there. Wow. Yeah. It's not an area with trees. Everyone yeah. look away. Someone's <laughs> yeah. bushway. Yeah. So but tell us about Mongolia itself. I mean, I, I've read the Genghis Khan books, um, Khan mm. World, and, and that paints an amazing pictures. But tell us about yeah. what you saw. Yeah. Oh, it's some of the most beautiful country. Now, I'm not going to talk about the city so much, at, mm. except at the end I'll tell you there is one ski resort in Ulaanbaatar. But um, in the west where we went, uh, for the, the actual trek, um, it is magnificent country. It's totally, totally, you know, it's so natural, like just massive mountains and um, dirt roads everywhere. So you're always riding on dirt and, you know, you you climb for a couple of k's up a hill, three k's, and then down the other side on these roads and across these beautiful valleys and then you'd come across a gur, which is what some countries call a yurt. Oh, yeah. um, but, you know, the, the big round gurs. And, you know, on one occasion we were invited in by a family and they're just so magnificent in time, inside, all mm. hand embroidered. Oh, just beautiful wow. and so warm. So they have mm. a summer a summer house, which is usually the gur, where they wrap because they've got their animals out to feed for winter because they're ma- mo- mainly meat eaters and uh, so they have to fatten up all their their yaks and their goats and their sheep 
um, and their and their cows, you know, everything has to be fattened up to survive for the winter. Then when the winter months come, which is about eight months of the year, they actually have a, a, a more solid home and they have pens where they actually put the animals in so that they're all in close confines to keep each other warm so that they do survive. Wow. Sounds very, very close to how they've been living for thousands of years still now. Yeah. It's amazing to see it that. Is. It is. It's so nomadic. I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm going to spoil your little picture a little bit because these days they have um they do have some solar power they they have their own solar panels there and most a lot of them have mobile phones so and occasionally they'll even have a tv so they're they're not as nomadic well they're not as um isolated yes they're still as nomadic but they're they're not as isolated from Mm -hmm. the world as they used to be So were there a lot of people around you doing this trek? Were you the one of only a group of people or you like so it's still not I've just come back from Thailand and it was busy, 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 tourist, tourist, tourist. It hasn't done that to Mongolia yet? (laughs) No, not where we went. And the most tourists we 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 saw were Mongolians. Um and since COVID, a lot of the Mongolians have realized that there's really nice places to actually visit themselves in their mm-hmm. own country and mm-hmm. they've sort of there's like these gur camps mm-hmm. that have um popped up where people can go on holiday in a gur and it's like almost like a caravan park but they're gurs and uh, they're around some of the rivers and, and mainly the mongolians were going in to have like a, a holiday there but my partner colin was just laughing because the amount of times cars went past and people stopped and took photos of us mongolians were taking photos oh, of us biking oh, it was hilarious I, I guess it yeah i suppose it's like that thing of like when people go to the zoo and then suddenly the humans are the ones in the cages looking back like, yeah. we're fascinating to each other yeah yeah so that was really um that was just it was laugh it was a good laugh (laughs) but you know I can just say if people want to go to this province in western Mongolia you you actually have to go soon before it's untouched because it is Mm -hmm. magnificent and and what about the language barrier because you are close to the border was it a little bit of Chinese Russian what was the dialect that they used Uh, a lot near the border, a lot of Kazakhs. So a lot yep. of the nomads in this this particular province are from Kazakhstan. So they they're Kazakh nomads. Yep. So there there's Kazakhs. There's a mixture of Mongolians. There's some Russian, and a lot of the Mongolians will speak more than one language. So, but yep. in the city now, a lot of them are coming into say Ulaanbaatar, and there's a lot of high rises being built. Because, you know, a lot of the nomads, and I guess it's like in Australia, a lot of the farmers leave the farm and they come here and they want to go to university and have a different life. It's happening yeah. in Mongolia too. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. And the Mongolians sort of talk about themselves as they are, they stay pretty neutral because they're sitting between the the bear and the dragon. Right <laughs> That's a great analogy. So, yeah. And they, they have to be very, um, you know, mutually careful you know like not to not to upset the bear or the dragon yeah wow Mm, very interesting yeah because like I mean that's why if in history that's why the great uh, wall of China was built 
because of all the invading Mongolians. So (laughs) Genghis Khan, and I hate to, you know, upset the apple cart, but he's he's actually known as Chinggis, and there are a lot of people called, you know, men particularly called Chinggis. You know, that's Mm. a a common name in Mongolia. There's a lot of museums um, Mm. uh, built uh, and a lot of history, uh, uh, you know, obviously he's very Mm. popular in their history because so much changed and then there was, you know, him going, you know, that whole journey from Ulaanbaatar to Hungary, which is the one that Tim Cope did Mm. in following the trail of Genghis Khan. And some of the country that we were in was sort of the country around where Tim Cope travelled through. Mm, Yeah, fascinating. Did you notice, I mean, I haven't been there, so I don't know, I'm just picturing from what I've read, was it sort of, um, I mean, with the distances, I guess you didn't travel over the whole place, but um, did you notice a lot of diverse, like you were in one area and there was a certain type of trees there and then there was shrubs somewhere else, like very... Yeah. yeah, I can answer that from two provinces that I went to because, well, after we left and finished the trek, um, I met some friends and four of us did a, a tour, just a private tour down to the Gobi Desert. So we did the middle Gobi and, and, and the, you know, the main Gobi Desert and we went to the mm-hmm. Flaming Cliffs where they first found dinosaur eggs in the world, uh, remains of. Um, they didn't find real ones. <laughs> <laughs> and we climbed sand dunes and we had a ride on camels because there's a lot of camel herds. So we didn't see a lot of camels in Western Mongolia, but in the Gobi Desert there's just herds and herds of camels and they're the double hump camel. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, is, that the, uh, is that the uh, dromedary? Is that? Yeah, is I that think that so. Yeah. We have the back to my, yeah, yeah, this, yeah, yeah you, you can look that up, but I've <laughs> forgotten. But there's, um, there's a lot of Gur camps set up in the Gobi Desert and you travel and you sightsee and you'll stay in like the motel sort of t- type situation where they have a big kitchen that cooks for all, you know, it's, you know, um, like a buffet type and you stay in a Gur there, but they're not like, they're not beautiful girls like the one we got to go and see out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Um, but the funny thing and what really we took so much like to get used to it, there are no real roads and I could be driving down a street, you know, I'd be going somewhere and I set my sat-nav where, I, where my GPS, where I want to go, and you're driving along and then there'll be 10 roads dirt tracks shooting off into all these directions and the driver will just stop and you'll see him looking around and looking at his thing and then he'll just and he'll be going that way so there's no signposts there's no nothing they do everything by this gps and you think i'm like if, if we break down and i'm lost out here you know like you know, it's not a, it's yeah. what do I do? You know, it's the camels can only get you so far. <laughs> yeah, and it was like I'm looking into the distance thinking which way would I walk or would yeah. I walk or is a car going to find me because there's so many roads out there and it was same everywhere we went. Yeah. It sounds like the Mongolia is not a place where you want to go if you are a princess. 
who really needs your like do you have to be a certain traveler you know you have to be willing to get your hands dirty and rough it or could you be a princessy sort of person an aspen skier or (laughs) no not an aspen skier Um, you have to be prepared to um really cop what's coming to you because you don't have a lot of choice yeah, but yeah. when I say that when we were in the Gobi Desert and we stayed in these camps, they were comfortable and nice. Mm-hmm. You didn't have a toilet in your girth. They're shared toilets and showers. It's much like going to a caravan park. Yeah. But definitely. along the way, it's not comfortable travelling because you're sitting in a car or whatever vehicle they have and it's like this the whole <laughs> way and you're going for two hours bouncing on, you know, corrugated yeah dirt roads and it's so exactly it's what we rode in it's yeah exactly. it's confronting like, yeah confront yeah and you, and some days you feel like it and some days you just think get me out of this car I've had enough mm, <laughs> yeah. five days in the Gobi desert driving like that mm. through the middle Gobi and down to the southern Gobi etc is like that's hard work mm. and do and you, you have know, to have the five days to get the experience yeah I think you do to see yeah. the different areas you know um yeah you need it you need it I think it's really um I think it's really important point that you make about that you know some sometimes you just feel like get me out of here because travel is a bit like that you know like you whatever you know you make this idea you want to go here and it sounds all romantic and different and everything and um yeah it you know some places are just like that just like you know maybe people shouldn't put themselves in that position if they're just not up for it well, there were some very fit people with us and I wasn't as fit as some of them, nowhere near, uh, and they just said it was incredibly hard and incredibly challenging and, well, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah, you know, wow. my, my partner says that too. He said, but thank you for making me go because he didn't want to go initially and um, he didn't want to, want to go and he just said, you know what, I'll never forget this and I'll never stop talking about it because it mm. was an experience of a lifetime. Yeah, yeah. So the, so tell us about just a quick glimpse into the riding the horses because. Oh, that, that was really fun. So yeah. we just, someone must have said to Annie, oh, we should ride horses while we're in Mongolia because Mongolia is known for its horses. So it on the last day they'd made this trek that we were going to ride horses. So this local villager bought in 13 horses and two for himself and you know um you know for his son and him who were our our guides and we took off on the horses for a day the first thing like I used to ride as a kid so I I know a lot about riding but my partner has ridden a horse about three times in his life and the first thing he was confronted with was the horse was going across a stream and he's going oh. I haven't even got in it I've got a the stream and I just said don't worry the horse knows how to get across the stream you just sit on it you know and it's you know there's the stones in the bottom of the stream and the waters you know it was a flowing stream and that and then we just walked all through these meadows and what they did take us to see were these beautiful petroglyphs which are like the stone carvings if you look them up they're like from the bronze age and they're all they're they find them everywhere they're thousands and thousands of years old and they're very clear. You can see the artwork that, you know, from, say, chariot times or 
the the, oh the, the horsemen and the bow and arrow and the animals, and you can see it. What their life? They, it, these petroglyphs de- depict the lifestyle from thousands and thousands of years ago, oh and they're God. on the rocks. I love that history. I just yeah. really do. I mean, for me, this whole bonus would have been when it snowed ten centimeters, like that. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the- well, then we said, yeah. So then, but on that same day that that happened, we were the first ones because we camped alongside or about a kilometer from the actual base camp where people, a lot of the really serious climbers that are going to mountain climb go. Yeah. So we were the first ones that morning to walk to try and get to the, the mountain we were going to. Um, and then when I was coming down, a lot of them were going up with their serious ropes and packs and, like, going across the glacier to actually, you know, climb the highest mountain. It's not I easy just, to walk in 10 centimetres of snow, so that would have added hours, did it, to yeah. the, like? Yeah, and we put plastic, a couple of us put plastic bags inside our shoes because we didn't mm. have, like, I had a Gore-Tex shoe, but it wasn't going to stop water. Yeah, that's mm. actually clever. <laughs> yeah. but, um, what do you think, like, if you were giving advice to people about this trip, would you say, would you say don't maybe, my parents are in their 80s, would you say it's really too much unless you're super and one of those extreme kind of octogenarians or don't go unless you're about like, what's the youngest and oldest that you would recommend? Well, I wouldn't if I was an octogenarian unless I was doing some serious mountain climbing and some serious walking all the time, and I wouldn't attempt it on a bike. I mean, there's other areas, I think, in the northern part of Mongolia that are easier riding, but where we went with them was the more difficult riding. Trust Cantu to pick that for us. But, (laughs) um, look, I... I was relatively fit but not fit enough and I now would be able to tell someone what they need to do to do what we did and how to be prepared. Um, So having gone there, hindsight's amazing, but um, twice I lost it to tears and I've talked to some of them. There's a few of us that, you know, at different times you had your moments where you just wanted to like enough. Um, But, you know, you push on and someone talks you through or you take half an hour off in a car or in a van. We had these Russian vans. And you just go, I just need that break for a little while because riding for four days, 45 kilometres a day on a bike on the types of roads that I said, Mm. your bum is. And then, Mm. you know, you can imagine going downhill, your arms are being you know, you've been your whole body is getting a workout by just yeah. hanging on to the handlebars. I rode down um, Mount Kosciuszko back in or oh, a long time ago, and I and that was kind of like the road down Mount Kosciuszko, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I was like, my hair, and that was only for two hours. Yeah, no, <laughs> so yeah, I can't it's... even imagine four days worth of that. Like that's yeah, you. and that and you. then imagine the wind. But there was one time yeah. I. We were walking and it was like three kilometres uphill and it was just pushing the bike. There was no way you were going to be able to ride it. So I just turfed mine onto the car or the van and I said, I walked with the others that were pushing. I said, I'm not pushing the bike. Sorry, I'm buggered. And we heard all this noise and round the corner these hundred yaks came down the trail and that was like the yak off. They were facing us and we were facing the yaks and it was, what do we do now? It was hilarious. No. (laughs) It was like that. Like there were so many things that happened along the way that just you look back and you go, wow, the yaks being invited into this house to have 
the milk tea and the their, their special sheep cheeses and their breads and all these little things that happened, you know, were it's, just you priceless. Know, what I'm what I'm hearing as well, reading between the lines, is, is I'm in a bit of a zone where I'm taking note of people that really saying that this sounds like a trip where don't wait till it's too late. Like you're saying, not only oh, yeah. because it's going to change, but also you can't handle it when you're 80. You know that kind of thing, like something like that. So you know we all can fall into the trap of not thinking like this when we choose a holiday. Even mm-hmm. we can just go, oh, we'll just go and do this and this, but. People have said lately, like, try and do the hard things while you've still got your health and you're relatively young. Um, You know, I always think that with cruises, you know, like cruises, okay, that's like after 80 because you can just sit there and watch. But (laughs) it sounds like hardcore active, like do not leave it too late. Oh, no, no, you couldn't. And the amount of people I know that have said, Oh my god! I couldn't even think about it. But I'm I'm one of these people that says, "Oh, I'll figure it out." Yeah. So, you know, I'll do so it. I'll figure it out. Yeah. So you have a published book called Aging Fearlessly. Did you I write do. that before you did this, or did oh. you? <laughs> yeah, I wrote that about seven years ago. It's almost ancient history now. Will <laughs> oh, time to write another one? <laughs> oh, maybe one day. But I have a podcast called Aging Fearlessly as well. Yeah, and you know. Uh, when I did Peru, I did um, a story with some of those guys um, about the Selcante Trail, which I thought was really hard too until I did this. And um, uh, we did a, one on adventure holidays. And, I mean, I do a lot of adventure holidays. I've done two swim treks in Greece. Um, oh, we're going to do Kruger next year. Uh, you know, there's a, a whole lot of stuff. But I, that's the sort of thing I like to do on a holiday. But yeah. this was but some of those you can call a holiday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've yeah. ridden on the Otago Trail, which was a piece of cake after mm-hmm. it was a piece of cake four days on the Otago, doing many, many more kilometres, but it's a different sort of conditions. Mm. Yeah. Oh, it's, um, so, it's so inspiring you- hearing you're doing all this. It's just it's really nice for Tanila and I to hear because we've still got kids at school and we that well that's number one and the other reason is just it's so not you know we're really on your page in terms of like um wanting women in particular to we really need to like you know keep stepping into these like keep you know turning the dial the dial up kind of thing and not we don't want to hear about any women who say I can't do that anymore I'm yeah, you know, I've lost my confidence and things like that. We really yeah. got to, and we need people like you that are just mm. keep pushing the envelope to um, well, show us. Like, just keep keep it active. Keep active. Well, I'm 67. There was one fellow a little bit older than me, then me, and then a woman just under me. And the lo- the youngest on the trip was 49, mm. um, and her husband didn't want to go, so she came on alone on her own. So there was three women without partners there. They left the partners at home, and five couples. I must Mm -hmm. say having a supportive couple when you're on something like this, especially when, you know, because we were in bed at 7 o'clock at night and it was broad daylight Mm -hmm. until 11 o'clock then the sun went down and came up again. Um, But it was, you know, to me it's nice to have someone that you can debrief with at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and, you know, as well I have this live storytelling event where I, you know, I'm just always doing something and thinking about doing something. Mm -hmm. I don't. I'm not actively doing sport every day, but I do keep relatively, I do what I, I like to do. 
Yeah, mm. you have to be fit oh, to do amazing. these adventures. How do you find your adventures? Like, how do you go? How do you think? Oh, okay, I'll read that. Do you do you just hear stories? Do you listen to podcasts? How do you find your next adventure? All um, well, really through my networks because yeah. I belong to a swim group, an ocean swim group, and and sometimes someone will say, "Oh, look, we're going to do such and such a swim in Greece. Who wants to go?" Um, the same with the Otago Trail, but I, then I've got the Cantu mob and they'll say like we're doing this and I don't do all the Cantu things I've done three and they're all treks I don't do their swims or their runs I can't run for, to save my life yeah. and uh but if it sounds like something that I want to do I'll I'll just do it I don't really go for looking at brochures and you know yeah. I listen to what people have done and then I think oh that sounds good mm, can I mean right. we we can edit it this um, but are they expensive to do? <laughs> Have you? Um, well, the Cantu ones, um, no, not necessarily the the um, the trip itself. No, I wouldn't. I'd say it's average five thousand dollars or so plus your airfares. However, that's awesome. it's the fundraising that you commit to, and if you don't make that fundraising, you pay that money, which is fine because I'm doing it for a cause. That's choice, yeah. but no, some most of them aren't that. I don't know, three thousand odd to go swimming in Greece, but just for the week's trip, I don't think that's that bad. Well, compared to skiing, that's actually really reasonable. Oh, <laughs> skiing, skiing's outrageous. Like, yeah. and 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 in Ulaanbaatar, I mentioned there was oh, yeah. one ski resort. So it's actually the local golf club, which is magnificent, but they have one chair, not even a chairlift, one tea bar. Was it a tea bar or a chairlift? I can't remember. But that's all they have. And it's mm-hmm. at the, you know, the back of the town. Um, so I don't think people ski a lot there. But yes, that's the only ski area in the whole of Mongolia. Mm. Wow. Oh, it's amazing. Well, it's so nice talking to you. And we've we've got our famous last question or famous to ourselves. <laughs> um, and which is what you've an ex-skier, what is your favorite place in the world to ski? I always love Whistler Blackcomb. Um, I started going there in 1979. I've had about six trips there. I've met a lot of people there, some who live in Blackcomb, some who live in um, White Gold. So I always had places to stay. And when I was single, I'd just buzz off over there for a month or so and I would do like, I think it's called Yes Group. It was an off-piece scheme. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 and I just... PJ, because yeah, I had no one to ski with because my friends that lived there worked, so I'd just go book and go ski with them. Oh, I love that. That's really yeah. cool. You're always meeting people and going on an adventure. That's yeah, you do. Yeah, yep. yep. Yeah. So yeah, Whistler Blackcomb. But I, I started my ski life working at Perisher in the ski school in the office in 70, 77, 78. Yeah, and I did a season, then went to Whistler, and mm. then spent the summer in on a cruise ship, and then came back and did the ski school again, and then back to Whistler and back to the yep. cruise ship. So that's what I did for a few years after I finished a teaching degree. That is very cool. Always a rite of passage to adventure. I think a snow holiday. <laughs> yeah, it leads you into that for life. You kind of yeah. you're surrounded by those people. I think yeah, yeah. resorts and yeah. But for me, and you girls might realise it too, but the way to have a really positive life is to find a really positive tribe. 
Mm. And sport is one way to find a really positive tribe, people who want to do things. They want to get out there. They want to enjoy the sunshine. You know, they want to go for a beautiful walk. I did a beautiful walk yesterday and saw the big Waratahs up in the back of West Head. And, you know, Mm. you just go, this is what life's meant to be. Yeah, Yeah, Just get out there and enjoy it. It's so it's true. true. Yeah. So true. Yeah. Uh, Positive it's, tribe. It's, I love that. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 a good reminder, isn't it? You know, like yeah, I think it's great. So yeah, thank you so much for for everything, Karen. It's great. Yeah, and, I'll be coming and- to one of your story rooms. I look forward to going to all those. Yeah, they sound amazing. I love just hearing great stories. So it sounds like that's a positive tribe. Oh well, that's on tonight. We've got over 120 people booked in. Oh, awesome. Well, enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there I've got a skier on that one for you where an explorer he's a doctor who's just trekked across Antarctic well we now know all right thank you very much that thank was you awesome. appreciate it Cheerio. thank you bye. Bye. bye thanks for listening to loving the snow life with Emma and Tennille if you've learned a handy tip or two then happy days To catch all our episodes, subscribe on iTunes. It's free. Head over to www.lovingthesnowlife.com.au for more info and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Loving the Snow Life. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, then email us on our website. Thanks to everyone who leaves a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to share our episodes on your social media.